This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, brought to you by Whole Whale, a digital social impact agency. We're talking about the continued issues coming from the war in Ukraine, specifically around global food and crisis that could be coming, and some Google Analytics updates that that might be annoying to you. And in general, we're going to be trying to, as always, bring it back to why this matters for you at your social impact organization. So Nick, how's it going? It's going good, George. How are you? You know, keeping up with the news, keeping up with the work. It's It's been busy here at Whole Whale. You know, we just came back from our staff retreat not too long ago, and I I feel like I'm caught up, but it's tough when you take a little a little break from the normal. It is tough. Agency life keeps us busy, but we're back at it again today with the nonprofit news feed. And as you alluded to, our first story continues to be about the second and third order of effects of the war in Ukraine, in particular, the increasing likelihood of a global food crisis. So again, from reporting from the New York Times, the war in Ukraine continues to threaten global food, agriculture, and other vital infrastructure. Farmers are having their granaries and farm equipment destroyed, and lots of other facilities and infrastructure in Ukraine and Russia are now offline from the global food markets. The World Food Program chief warns that a global food crisis may turn out to be, quote, beyond anything we've seen since World War II. Now, the nonprofit take on this is that nonprofits are going to see higher food prices. They're going to see higher gas prices from sanctions, as well as just strains on gas and oil production. And this is a rare moment where global food markets are being impacted by supply and demand as opposed to the more typical factors that we see. George, I know we want to take this back to nonprofits. If you're in a nonprofit based in America, small, maybe you have a couple staff on your payroll, why is this important to those organizations? One, you should be preparing for what the bottom line costs will start to become, especially if you're serving people in harder to reach areas, working with the World Food Program, organizing and food. And it's probably already on your radar, to be honest, right? We're not telling you anything new. The second thing you should be doing is beginning to fundraise and communicate around this pending catastrophe before, before you're in the moment. Because as we know, you need the resources now to prepare for later. You need to plant the seeds in the spring to get them in the fall in the same way I think that even though you're hearing it here, and even in your your circles, maybe this is something that is very clearly going to happen. The truth is, I'm not seeing it nearly as much in sort of search trends and information and in general and, and carried around because, you know, a future impending crisis just doesn't get to the front of the paper the same way that the immediate disaster and impacts and refugees have. But there's something, there's something large coming. And I think that's an opportunity for your organization to begin that narrative now to educate first, right? With information, educate your audience about what you see coming from where you sit and what you project to then follow up with a uh, preemptive campaign to prepare for what I think we're clearly seeing is going to be a global food crisis and searches for famine, searches, searches for food crisis. I anticipate will be going up, but right now they are are, you know, surprisingly flat. Absolutely. I think that's a great analysis. And George, something that we tell our clients is the best time to prepare for breaking news 
is ahead of time. And there are ways to do it. We can see things coming, whether it's big political moments and elections, or whether it's this slow burning news story that we will likely see ramp up in the future. There are things you can do now to prepare for it. And the beneficiaries of many organizations may be directly affected. And there's lots of different things you can do to prepare for that from the communications and marketing angle to how you serve communities, for example. But I think that's a great analysis. All right, I can take us into our next story. And this is a frustrating one, George, one that hits close to home based on my current job description. But Google Analytics is requiring immediate attention from nonprofits over the next year. The takeaway this is Google Analytics, for those who are unfamiliar, is the industry standard web analytics reporting platform. It's a reporting code, it's a tracking infrastructure, it's a whole system for understanding how people are interacting with your website. Google has been slowly rolling out the updated version of this platform that's currently called Universal Analytics. They are upgrading it to what is being dubbed GA4. This has been happening for two years now in molasses level slow motion, but just last week, they put out a press statement saying that all universal analytics accounts, so all that historic data, all those accounts, all of universal analytics is going away. Your data, unless you export and download it, going away. That's it's over with. And, and quite frankly, it's Google anticipating changes in the data privacy and regulatory environment. But what this means for nonprofits is that you both need to download and store that historic data and as soon as possible, get the new GA4 up and running so you can start that data collection so that when Universal Analytics goes away, you already have a little bit of runway with historic data to make that transition. What am I missing, George? Yeah, I feel like this is a scared straight program of people panicking, but you're right. What we should note is that you have until July 1st, 2023. July 1st, 2023 may seem like over a year away. However, your point about the data continuity stands. If you want to be looking at this time next year, year over year information, you have to make sure that GA4, the new instance GA4 is installed, set up and tracking the things that matter to you now. So you have that overlap. They've given a year, which is, you know, which is great, but they're very serious about this hard cliff and in large part because of some of those data privacy laws and rules that are out there. This may be frustrating. This may be annoying, but the other side of this is that if you do nothing, so you're listening to this right now, you park it away, like, ah, you know, I'll get to it later. Like one, you're going to be frustrated because you don't have the, the data year over year that you would probably want for reporting. Uh, number two is that this could risk your Google ad grant come next year past July. If you do not have a fully operational and working GA4 instance, your analytics tied to, of course, your Google ad grant and many times for, for application, maybe they change the rules, maybe they change this or app, but this is something that you can't really stick your head in the sand in. And it's something that is, you know, a little bit of work now. And then in terms of the export, you can wait until next year and whole whale will be working on a lot of different solutions to make it super easy for you to click, click export and at least view some semblance of historical data as a result of that. And we're going to create something that 
is uh, DIY that people can run with on their own later, later this year and into next year as we get a handle on the real nuance of this. But we bring it up now because it's one of those like not urgent, but important, not urgent, but important things that you should be paying attention to right now. Yeah, George, I like the messaging on that. I will also add that if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you're unfamiliar with Google Analytics, I promise you that your marketing team and your web development team or web developer or vendor, someone who works on your website is familiar. So figure out who that person is, contact them, and start thinking about a game plan for acknowledging this shift. And George, as you alluded to, we will also be putting out more information and resources in the coming months and year. All right, I can take us into our next story within our summary. And this comes from the Nonprofit Times at thenonprofittimes.com. And the title of the story is Floridians are giving locally, not nationally. And the headline is that 70% of households in Florida report making charitable, charitable donations during 2021 with an average donation of $1,000. But the majority of their giving is focused on nonprofits within the state. So I think in some ways, this is something of a counter narrative to some of the threads we've been pulling about national trends in giving and tentpole giving moments and giving during political seasons. The data here, as reported by the nonprofit Time, shows that local giving is still driving the, the fundraising landscape in a lot of places, in this case, especially Florida. Yeah, a reminder that the, the giving locally still is very much in play. And if you're a local organization thinking about how you're fr framing that ask and saying to make sure that like, while there are national interests and where you know, our attention is absolutely being pulled to moments of, of crisis in Ukraine and beyond that, there is still much of uh, an appeal when you come back to local, local impact and local dollars putting to work. The top three areas, which was interesting for the average donation amounts in the areas were religion, basic needs and health. You know, I'd be curious, you know, tried to look for other state by state comparisons, but it's interesting to at least look at one example of Florida in this case. Absolutely. Yes. I can take us into our next story, and this comes from U.S. News and World Report, and the title is Inflation Hits Nonprofits, Services, and Ability to Fundraise. We have been covering inflation and the downstream effects on nonprofit organizations before, but this is yet another article highlighting the problem with higher prices for nonprofits that, quite frankly, have very thin margins to operate within. And it highlights a nonprofit out of Cincinnati, I believe, that has been looking for a refrigeration truck to help transport food through its various programs. And they've simply not been able to either afford a new truck or afford a used truck. Of course, the, the automobile manufacturing and the automobile market in general has seen prices shoot through the roof in the past couple of years with supply chain disruptions. But just another reminder that this is something that's affecting nonprofits. It's not going away. Although recent inflation numbers today, very high. I think the number was over 8% year over year. A couple of signs in there that the rate of growth of inflation might be slowing. So some cautious optimism that it's not gonna go up much higher, but let alone 
we're still at record high inflation numbers. So something to keep in mind for small organizations, which are on the front lines of these pricing. Organizations specifically working around housing and food insecurity are, are feeling this. Uh, quote from Kelly Kuhn, the CEO, Michigan Nonprofit Association, had this quote that's that's something any nonprofit is experiencing now. Trying to keep up with requests for higher salaries and wages. Added that passion for the mission won't keep nonprofit workers from seeking wages elsewhere. There's a lot of strain on human capital for nonprofits. I think that tension is only going to increase as this year uh, continues. And basic cost of living salaries, just to keep up with the rate of inflation, is going to become more and more difficult as as these compounding factors play in. And of course, the people serving the most vulnerable, if they're it, so too are they, their stakeholders. Absolutely. All right, George, I'll take us into our next story. And we always look for opportunities to talk about cybersecurity because it's so important and every Actually, year becomes I'm jump even backward. more important. I really, I, I, I want to make this more practical. So I had this thought really quickly, right? We're talking about inflation. We've talked about it a number of times. Here's, here's the take. If you are messaging, I think you can use this as a potential narrative to say, while other organizations can raise their prices when you click to buy something online, when you buy that cup of coffee and buy that next gallon of gas that just goes up or down, like they control those prices. We can't turn to our stakeholders. We can't tell somebody that this, you know, this food that we're giving you this week costs this much more. We serve the community in public good, but we're having a hard time keeping up right now with the cost of living as we all are. But that work sort of can be put in juxtaposition with what for-profit companies can be doing. And we're seeing, and there's a little bit of angst about they're raising their prices, making it more expensive for us. Guess who can't raise their prices? Our service to each other, our service in housing, our service to food insecure. So maybe that is an opportunity to bring in some narrative as it's, it's clearly on people's mind about inflation, but bring it into something that's maybe. Absolutely. You know, to your point, I think inflation will be an extremely salient political messaging angle going into November. So everyone's going to be talking about it. It's, 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 it's the economy, stupid, right? That's, yeah. that's going to be the angle. So you might as well play off of it, right? Like that's a tangible narrative people are hearing about all the time. And yeah, being able to, you know, narrate how that's affecting you, I think can really humanize your organization to potential donors and uh, people within within your community. And the way I think you pull that is not on a macro hand wringing level. It is on the micro. Pick up a can of peas and say, here's our warehouse. Here is this can of peas. It is going to take us an extra fill in the blank gas, fill in the blank cost to get it from here to there. We solve the last mile. That's what nonprofits are doing. The last mile of we have the resources. We just have to get them to the people that need it. And that cost of driving, of applying and getting it there is what's going up. So find those micro stories to pull out. And I think that'll help, especially Nick, you're right. We're going to hear that word used a lot. It's going to trend in searches and pieces and you can get, you know, news articles written, but you're going to do it on the micro. How much does it cost to get that can of peas this year versus last year versus two years ago to where it needed to go? Absolutely. That's the way to do it. Bring it home, make it local into into terms people can understand. I absolutely agree. All right, I can take us into our next story. And this comes from local CBS affiliate, Channel 5, KPIX, San Francisco, 
Bay Area. And the article is about a scam San Francisco nonprofit falling victim to the costliest form of cybercrime. And again, this type of cybercrime continues to be business email compromise. We've heard about flashy ransomware attacks. Nope. Standard email phishing is still the most lucrative. And I think the number in here from the FBI was that in the US in 2021, approximately $2.4 billion were stolen, representing a 33% increase from 2020 when it comes to just basic email phishing scams. That's an absurd amount of money for a very low tech way, you know, stealing money. And the story here focuses on a nonprofit, uh, a nonprofit account accounting executive who was the target of phishing emails that actually the hackers were able to insert themselves into an email chain and essentially siphon off money. And after running the case to the ground and traveling to the bank and involving the FBI and the police, who apparently couldn't do anything, apparently now the Secret Service is investigating. That's beside the point. The point is phishing scams are not going away. They're increasing in frequency. They're increasing in their potency and their ability to extract money out of hardworking Americans and nonprofits. What you need to do to stay safe is a couple of things. Two-factor, authenticate everything. Make sure you anything involving money is extremely secure should not be happening over email. Lots of little things that you can do just to kind of secure your organization. George, are there any other takeaways or any other tips you have for nonprofits? We have a cybersecurity course. Our friends over at Roundtable Technologies have constant updates about this. But here's the point. I want you to understand how simple this was. If you have a CFO, if you have a chief financial whatever, if you even have a bookkeeper, and I can hack their email, by simply saying, hey, can you send me your password? Oh, I'm the admin. I'm running an IT update. Can you send me this really quickly? And I can send it from something that looks pretty confident. They're busy. Oh, that sure, here you go. I've been meaning to run this update. Yeah, no problem. We'll get that for you. If I get that email password and I can just hack one person on a financial thread in your organization, all it was was this person then went into the email client, looked through, found a conversation about who was sending what wires to Grant. So they did a search for wire instructions. And then they went and just popped into that thread and replied, actually, we just had an update on this wire information. Can you change the routing information to this? Boom, gone, money, like that. So I want you to think about how vulnerable that system is because I have high confidence that I could do that for a good percentage of folks if you gave me a target. And I want that to sink in for a second as you consider what, you know, oh, they'll lock our files up. No, 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 no. They're going to do a deep phishing attack and they're going to take your money. It's now hopefully becoming part of your, your regular diet of ensuring against it and doing, you know, we don't have the time to go through the amount of things that you should be doing, but there are some basic things that will stop 95% of those types of attacks. I feel like this is a scared straight program now. We deliver hard truths on this podcast, George. Sometimes the yeah. truth hurts. All right. Um, do we have good news? Do we have a... I feel, feel better. George, I got a great one for us. Our feel-good story of the day comes from local CBS affiliate Channel 13, WJZ. So many letters. CBS out of Baltimore. And this is about Baltimore City partnering 
with local nonprofit Kaboom! Exclamation point to ensure that children have access to place-based equity at schools and underserved communities. The nonprofit organization Kaboom has raised over $250 million to build play spaces and playgrounds for kids in the Baltimore area in over 25 places. And I think this is really awesome because we like, you know, I'm in New York City, you're, you're in California. We both grew up in cities. It's so important to have those spaces. It, the, the benefits of that are immense. So it's awesome to see a nonprofit stepping up here and making our cities a better place for our children. I have so much respect for Kaboom. They have been in the game for a very long time. And their model of working with tri-sector partnerships, meaning nonprofit, for-profit, and government is excellent. Their funding models are brilliant. Sometimes they, you know, they work very often with those communities to build those play spaces. And by the way, you know, just speaking as a parent, like public play spaces just have been a just a bastion of sanity, of health for for my kids, I know, because, you know, during the pandemic, you're locked into four four walls and maybe no backyard. And I got to tell you, it's it meant the world to have even any access to play spaces. And so this work, more important than ever, love to see Kaboom continuing on. And by the way, take a look at their models. There's a lot of smart things going on at Kaboom. All right. That's what we have for you. Nick, thanks as always. Appreciate your help synthesizing all this news. Thanks, George. I'll talk to you next week. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas, music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 